What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history podcast where hindsight is 4040. I'm your host, Khaled Abdallah, and I'm joined today by my fellow host, Osama Dahoud, and we're excited to bring you another episode featuring the biggest what ifs from an NFL team that you all know and love and probably mostly hate. Let's jump right in. Today, we're covering the top five what if moments in Dallas Cowboys history. So this is just a few days or about a week uh, after their loss to the San Francisco 49ers in the wildcard playoffs. Uh, but to, uh, to refresh your memory on the, the concept, so these are the, the top five what if slash turning points in Cowboys history where we discuss what could have happened had things gone a little bit differently. So these are true 50-50 coin flip type moments where we can make some educated guesses on what could have been for the Cowboys if a few things uh, didn't go quite, uh, quite as planned. So uh, with that said, we can dive into number one uh, and go ahead, Osama. Yeah, this is, was interesting because neither of us are Cowboys fans. Uh, so we wanted to try and address uh, the most important issues or, or what if moments uh, for the Cowboys. So I've always been fascinated by everything around Jimmy Johnson's arrival and Herschel Walker. Uh, it's just such a, a, a fleecing, uh, the, the Herschel Walker trade. Uh, probably the largest player trade in the history of football. It, it was in uh, the 1989 season. Um, I want to get into a little bit of the backstory uh, and, and what happened before the actual trade itself. So when Jimmy Johnson in uh, 1987 won the national championship game with the University of Miami, they went undefeated and he was highly coveted. So uh, knowing Jerry Jones, he wanted to get the big fish. So he got Jimmy Johnson. And when he came to the team, I mean, he inherited a mess, you know, the days of Tom Landry and Roger Staubach and all that was kind of long gone. Um, so he knew he had to work some magic uh, and he kind of looked at his roster and said, okay, I need value. I need to find a way to build through the draft, which is what he firmly believed would be the best way to move forward. So he actually first reached out to Al Davis to trade Michael Irvin uh, to the Raiders at the time. Uh, but Al Davis actually said to, to Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson, don't trade him. He said, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> That's my Al Davis. He said, I'd be happy to trade for him, but you need to keep Michael Irvin. He could smell the end zone. Uh, so they decided that, well, Jimmy decided Herschel Walker was the only player of value on the team. He was convinced uh, that if you could trade Herschel Walker and get a good deal, uh, that they could build it through the draft. Uh, any thoughts so far? You knew about, you're a Raiders fan. You knew about that, her, that uh, Michael Irvin bit, right? So I actually didn't until I was doing the research for this pod. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's funny. He he's a, looks like a Raider. He plays like a Raider. Uh, he would have been a great fit. Uh, but Al Davis and Jerry Jones were, were boys uh, for a long time. So I guess he, he wanted to do his friend a favor and not take the playmaker off his hands. So that's, that was an interesting nugget. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. He off the field. He was nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the team, there were, so there were four teams interested in trading for Herschel Walker, the Vikings, the Browns, the Giants, and the Falcons. So being in the NFC, there's no way Jimmy was going to trade Herschel Walker to the Giants. They were already a good football team at that time under Bill Parcells. The Falcons didn't get him because they didn't believe they could re-sign him. So the bidding war was between the Browns and the Vikings. 
Um, so the Browns actually made a pretty formal offer to the Cowboys that probably would have been fair comp, to be honest. It was one player, two future first round picks and three second round picks. Uh, the, it's a competitive pick uh, uh, op- offer from the Browns. Uh, they thought Herschel Walker would take him to the next level as the Vikings did. And Jimmy thought it was a fair offer, but he wanted more. So he used Cleveland's pitch as leverage to extract more from another team. And uh, funny enough, it worked. He called Vikings GM Mike Lynn to tell him what Cleveland offered. He gave him a deadline uh, and Lynn won up it. He caved and blew Jimmy away by meeting this requirement of picks and players that would turn into uh, a couple of Hall of Famers. But if the Vikings hadn't bettered the Browns offer, he was going to go to Cleveland, Herschel Walker. So in turn, the Cowboys would have gotten a lot less uh, compensation and the dynasty may not have been as uh, would it not have been born the same way. Uh, or, or tell us about the, the, the picks. Uh, I thought that was super interesting, the sales magic that Jimmy Johnson worked here. Yeah, he, he fleeced them so hard. <laughs> I mean, it was... So like you said, this is uh, the largest player trade in the history of the NFL. Uh, It winded up being a a total of 18 players and draft picks. So this this is how the the compensation worked out. So um, Dallas ends up getting four players, three first-round picks, three second-round picks, one third-round pick, one sixth-round pick. So Dallas gets four players and uh, eight picks. And Minnesota, of course, gets Herschel Walker, two third-round picks, a tenth-round pick. And for some reason, San Diego got involved in the deal, and Minnesota got San Diego's fifth-round pick, and San Diego got a, a running back by the name of Darren Nelson, um, who's no, who nobody's heard of. Uh, so it was just, I mean, just looking at it, I mean, Minnesota originally thought that they got the better end of the deal uh, because they got Herschel Walker. Uh, but what they didn't know is that Jimmy Johnson, so a lot of these, the picks that, um, and the players, I should say, that that Jimmy got from them, um, they were all conditional. So if, you know, if Dallas cuts this player that Minnesota sent across, it would become a pick. And Jimmy being the, the wily, you know, sneaky dude that he is, he took these players and had no intention of keeping them. So he either benched them or cut them so he could meet the conditions of getting the pick. So his goal was just to, stockpile as many draft picks as possible and and that's exactly what he did yeah so you got that completely right he didn't want these players from minnesota on the team he wanted those conditional picks um so if he released or traded any of the players before 1990 he'd get draft comp so he did that nelson was actually traded to the chargers because he refused to report to camp so he got two late round picks for him um he cut uh uh stewart uh, to receive the second round pick attached to him. And the rest were benched uh, for Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson. So I have a, uh, an interesting what if scenario. Before I get into the details of why I think um, what Jimmy saw here with Herschel Walker, what, what else did you want to touch on? Yeah, I mean, what I didn't understand is why Herschel Walker was so valued. I mean, I guess... The year before, he had a great year. Um, he had 1,500 yards, five touchdowns. 
But the two years before that, I mean, he, he didn't play a full season. Um, he had less than a thousand yards. So maybe Minnesota was just banking on his natural progression after that. But I, yeah, I didn't quite understand why he was so, maybe it was the call, like the, the his legend in college and how great he was at Georgia. But yeah, I, I didn't understand how much compensation he was worth at this time. Yeah, that's an excellent point. In the in the three seasons he was in Dallas, they were 17 and 35. <laughs> so, it, I mean, it's not Herschel Walker's fault, but it seems like Jimmy and the Cowboys knew he wasn't a player who could turn them into a Super Bowl team. Yeah, um, absolutely. So he had uh, four 100-yard games with the Vikings. Emmett Smith, who they ended up getting later as a result of this, had five in his first 18 games. <laughs> Um, when he joined the Vikings, I mean, we know he wasn't great. He struggled when he was there, uh, before going there, they thought that he was on a path to, 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 to becoming a huge star. Um, but he didn't fit the Vikings scheme. He played 42 games. He only eclipsed hundred yards, uh, four times in 42 games. It was pretty shocking for a guy who seemed to be the next big thing, especially from the Vikings perspective, they gave away uh, a huge haul. What did Alvin Gentry say when uh, the Pelicans traded for Anthony Davis and gave away a million picks? Well, that was a haul, folks, right? It was just in a huge, <laughs> huge haul. Um, in Emmett Smith's first 18 games, he had more 100-yard uh, rushing performances than Herschel Walker had in three years with the Vikings. <laughs> he was very prolific. It was a, just a massive game changer. Yeah. And I mean, the, the Vikings were, were pretty good the few years before that, before they got Walker. And then, you know, they just started to fall apart after they traded for him because, you know, the cupboard was bare. They weren't able to restock their, their talent um, and they sent all their picks to Dallas. And I, I think it's, it's important to note some of the, the hall of famers that, that Dallas got with those picks. So I, I'll let you I'll let you talk about that, but it's very impressive. Yeah, they got um, Darren Woodson, Emmett Smith, Russell Maryland. I mean, just a couple of, of, uh, of, of players that ended up being a huge part of their uh, success in the early to mid-90s. So you, a good point about the Vikings. Uh, they were solid the three years before they got Herschel Walker. They were 28 and 19 second in the nfc north every year after trading for him it was all downhill they went seven and four after the trade and then they were just six and ten and eight and eight the the cowboys on the other hand got way better <laughs> after they traded herschel walker they uh i mean emmett smith was like was such a game changer troy aikman michael Irvin, uh, such a huge turnaround the they went one and 15 in 1989 seven and nine in 1990 then they go 11 and five and they won 10 games each season from 91 to 96 winning through super super bowls basically all on the back of that trade <laughs> so i think it's a pretty clear what if uh if they don't trade herschel walker for a, you know 100 picks we don't get the the cowboys dynasty in the 90s and it's it's interesting because it's a, a lot of it had to do with Jerry Jones trusting Jimmy Johnson. So my, my what if is, is, is centered around that. So uh, what, here's what Jerry Jones said, according to Jimmy Johnson, when he approached him about trading Herschel Walker. He said, 
when I told Jerry we were going to trade him, he said, really, you can't get rid of Herschel Walker. We won't score a point if we don't have him. And that's what Minnesota thought. This college guy, hey, we'll pull one over on him. We're going to give him these five guys. They'll fall in love with him, and we won't have to give up anything until the number one pick a couple years down the road. This is just such so interesting how Jimmy was able to read the situation. So what I'm thinking is Jerry Jones tells Jimmy Johnson, look, I don't know who you think you are, who you think you are, <laughs> but you're not coming in here and trading away our star running back. We can't score without him. Jimmy says, fine, but only one year because Jimmy Johnson by reputation was such an aggressive, competitive person. There was no way that he was going to cave for more than one year in the event that he did. And you'll see that it's like, you'll see that I'm right after this one year they still have Troy Aikman Michael Irvin the team plays well but Herschel Walker's production still fails him so Jimmy Johnson gets to rub in Jerry Jones's face and I told you so then they traded him away for the Browns deal less valuable than the Vikings deal but they're still able to uh, build a good team and Jerry then lets Jimmy trust the team at the bare minimum and let's just for the hypothetical here uh, entertain a different reality uh, because I actually highly value Jimmy Johnson personally as well. And uh, even though as a Niners fan, I'm willing to concede if Jimmy Johnson was there, that maybe they actually beat the 49ers uh, instead of going down 21 zero in the 1994 uh, yeah. NFC championship game after the departure of Jimmy Johnson. Yep. Going to touch on that in my, my next in number two for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love this. Uh, part of Cowboys history so that's all I had on this did you have anything else yeah I mean it's it's interesting because I mean what's uh what Jimmy Johnson built his reputation on I mean among other things was being like this draft guru right I mean people I don't know if they still use it the same way but he has that that draft value chart that that people still reference when they talk about trading you know for example the the fifth pick in the draft for a couple picks down the line if the numbers add up uh, so that's that's what he built his his reputation on. And if he wasn't able to swing this trade with Minnesota, uh, I mean, I still have faith that he would have been successful because he's a great coach and he's a great, you know, great draft evaluator. Uh, but it definitely would have taken a lot longer. So they were able to flip this this kind of depreciating asset in Herschel Walker into basically the foundation of a not just a Super Bowl winning team, but a Super Bowl dynasty. And I think we talked about it in our in our Warriors draft, our Warriors pod, is that it's going to be a theme of of one team, a good organization, fleecing a poor organization uh, to get incredible players or incredible picks. And, and this is just another example of that in sports history. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's it, it's never not shocking to see what the result of this of, of the Herschel Walker trade was. <laughs> yeah, if you get an ESPN thirty for thirty on on just a trade. <laughs> I think it's you're I think it's called the, the great trade robbery or something like that. Yeah, the great know. trade robbery. It's like one of those shorter ones, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes long. Okay. So that was that was also my number one. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that we both value that one pretty high. Uh, so I'll go ahead with, with my number two, uh, which is I believe sort of tied to your number two. Uh, I think yours was more focused on the Jimmy Johnson era in general. Uh, mine was just if what if Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson had been able to get along um, after you know their initial beef and after the the first two Super Bowls. Uh, so as you said, Jerry Jones buys the Cowboys in in the late '80s. He wants to get that big fish coach, and he actually reached he reaches out to Jimmy Johnson. 
um, who was a buddy of his from uh, the Arkansas days. They actually both played uh, on the 1964 uh, national championship team together. So they went way back. Uh, so Jerry hires him, of course, like you said, goes one, one and 15, trades Herschel Walker, gets a ton of picks back, ends up winning two Super Bowls. Uh, but Jimmy kind of flirts with the idea of taking over the Jaguars job. So they, the Jaguars were an expansion team at the time. Uh, maybe he just wanted to live in Florida. Um, and they basically bicker in public and I'm sure behind the scenes as well. And Jerry Jones takes a shot at him and says, essentially, anybody could have coached this team to a Super Bowl because of how talented it was, completely discounting the fact that Jimmy Johnson is the one that got all this talent. So, yeah, basically, uh, after they, they, they beef for a bit, uh, Johnson, he leaves the Cowboys, takes a couple of years off, and then ends up going to the Dolphins. Yeah, he does pretty well in Miami, but doesn't win a Super Bowl. So to him, it's a disappointment. The Cowboys hire Barry Switzer. They lose to the Niners in the NFC Championship game in 1994 to miss out on the possible three-peat. And then after they fire Barry Switzer, there's a long list of coaches um, that are not at, to that same standard. So Chan Gailey, Dave Campo, even Bill Parcells at that time was not, uh, you know, it was nothing special by then. So basically if, if Jimmy Johnson stays, my what if is that they likely three-peat. They probably beat the Niners with J Jimmy Johnson instead of Barry Switzer. And they get to build a new dynasty. Uh, they of course would have had to, to reload, uh, but Jimmy being, you know, the draft guru that he is, would have been able to re restock and, and reload and probably extend Troy Aikman's career uh, instead of letting him get beat up behind some, you know, on some bad teams. So that's my, what if I know you brought it up, but you know, do they, do they beat the Niners in 1994 with Jimmy Johnson? They had the talent to do it. They were just lightning in a bottle for those first few years They had such a great chemistry. I going down 21 zero that that year, the Niners were really good. You'd need someone who demanded 100% the way Jimmy Johnson did. So I think that that game goes a lot differently if he's there. Yeah, and I mean, even that one, that, that's there was a, a, a moment in that game uh, where Deion Sanders supposedly interferes with Michael Irvin on a deep pass. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was brought up quite a bit by Cowboys fans for a long time, that if that was called correctly, maybe they, they end up winning that game. Um, so it was close with Barry Switzer. So maybe, it, like you said, it, it just goes the other way with Jimmy Johnson. But I think the, the more interesting thing is, you know, what happens the rest of the 90s if Jimmy Johnson is still around instead of Barry Switzer, Dave Campo, Chan Gailey, et cetera? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I agree with you with a lot of what you said um, about Jimmy Johnson. And I think his talent was being able to, assess value like he was able to see inefficiencies like he saw fool's gold and herschel walker uh, getting undrafted free agents uh like um jay novacek who's a tight end or uh having to the coveting speed this is kind of when you look at the size of players back then everyone was just massive they're just a kind of bulk and brawn and he saw that the where the game needed to go before anyone else had a chance to catch up um, so yeah, they had a, a, a bad start when he was there, which was all part of the growing pains of building something special. Um, so even with the departure of a lot of those talented players through free agency, 
he, he had a handle on the Cowboys that enabled them to always understand <clears throat> the, the, the mission. Barry Switzer, who ended up replacing him, never gave Dallas the sense of urgency Jimmy demanded. Um, and Troy Aikman didn't get along with Barry Switzer. It just wasn't the same. And what, why I think this era of Cowboys history is, is so interesting is it's kind of peak Cowboys hype, right? Like the yeah. that exists today. The value of the organization is so high and that they were never more successful than they were in this like 1990 to 96, maybe 97. It's, it's, it's as good as it got. They've had flashes here and there, but this was um, the peak of the Cowboys we know now. And it's, it's just so hard to win football games in the NFL to sustain dominance over a period of time. It requires a certain level of genius. I know Jimmy Johnson wasn't great in Miami, but it, it's just really hard to, to, to prove that you're the best everywhere you go. Most coaches are associated with having most of their success in one place. It's not like Vince Lombardi was less of a coach because he wasn't good in Washington versus Green Bay, right? Or Bill Belichick's time in Cleveland. Uh, the, the, it's more indicative of what, where they find success versus how successful they are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think what, what Jimmy Johnson really excelled at was, was building a culture. Uh, I mean, you could make the argument that he gave his players too much freedom, you know, with his days in, uh, at the U in Miami with, you know, the bad boys of, of college football and all that with the, the Catholics versus convicts. Uh, game, you know, the type of players that he coveted. And then he kind of did the same thing in, in Dallas, right? These guys were were running wild. They were making headlines, of course, you know, off the field as much as they were making them on the field. Uh, but he he won and he was able to build that that same culture in two places. Uh, he didn't quite do it in in uh, with the Dolphins, but you know, being being able to do it at college and the NFL level, uh, it's indicative of a, a pretty great coach. And there's a reason he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and I mean, it's not like winning a third Super Bowl or a fourth Super Bowl would have changed his legacy all that much because he's still a, a Hall of Fame coach. But maybe that kind of catapults him into like that elite pantheon level of, you know, the Belichicks, the Lombardis, et cetera. Um, instead of, I mean, he had to settle just for being a Hall of Famer. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think that there was a lot of drama in between like Cowboys Rings of Honor and things like that that kind of delayed his um, induction to the Hall of Fame. I think that the being able to assess maximum potential was his gift and probably what, he's, what he'll be most known for. Like, I guess he wasn't the, the dazzler of in, intellect like a Bill Walsh or changed the game like a Paul Brown. His assistant coaching tree was okay. Norv Turner, Dave Wanstead, Butch Davis, Dave Shula. Uh, they weren't huge. They didn't distinguish themselves when given the opportunity. But it was Jimmy that was, was the gold. So I guess my what if is, if his relationship with Jerry Jones isn't strained, you see much higher quality personnel decisions consistently um, after what we saw from his departure. The like the valuation of the team, the hype following that Jimmy Johnson era is significantly more successful if he sticks around. It's, I mean, it's not like he would have stayed in football too much longer. When he was in Miami, he cited burnout after, you know, two decades of coaching. It seems like he was kind of a miserable person. If you read about Jimmy Johnson, he 
now versus what he was like when he was a coach. It's like two completely different people. <laughs> it's like much more of a family man now, not, not the same. So I think, but at the minimum, Dallas has a deeper run of success before Bill Parcells gets there. Maybe he's in a front office role. He doesn't get chased out of Dallas. Maybe he comes back in a front office role, possibly. These are just potential alternatives versus he's just gone for good and the Cowboys struggle to find, um, to replicate that success. Yeah, so maybe if, uh, if he sticks around, we get a, a Belichick Patriots type run for you know, a decade plus versus kind of a, not, I don't want to say flash in the pan, but basically a magical five-year run and then it's over. So, yeah. right. Okay. So yeah, I'll pass it back to you for your, uh, so I think, like you said, we, we were in agreement on one and two. So I'll pass it back to you for, for number three. Yeah. So my number three is, uh, we've got a lot of attention on Cow. Shout out Cowboys Reddit, by the way, we appreciate you guys, uh, refreshing our memories, giving us your thoughts and ideas, a lot of good engagement. Um, when, when this question was posed to Cowboys Reddit, uh, mine is what if Des caught it? <laughs> I mean, hashtag, Des, hashtag Des caught it. Des caught it. Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> Des caught it. Um, I mean, this was a goddamn catch <laughs> is, is, is the, let's get that out of the way now very quickly. Um, yeah. So in a, in a recent SLS pod, we, we basically talked about how there's a difference between a catch, like a real catch and an NFL catch. And this is a great example of that, how they overcomplicate it. So, yeah. Yeah. So quick context, uh, Cowboys and uh, Packers uh, both had a great season, 12 and four. Um, the Cowboys clinched the NFC East, uh, which they had, a, they had a really good year. So when they played the Cowboys, uh, this was at Lambeau, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, so Late in the game, they're down five. Uh, it's a fourth down play in Packers territory. Romo takes a shot at Dez. Um, he's got Sam Shields on him. He catches it um, and basically tries to, to make a uh, – he puts both of his feet on the four-yard line. He extends for the end zone, and the ball is glued to his arm. <laughs> um, but he, he falls down with the football on the ground, but it's, it, it doesn't wiggle at all. Um, he brings it back to him, and they call it uh, a catch. So he, he makes a football move, basically. He makes, uh, yes, he makes a football move. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, th thoughts, on, thoughts on this so far? It was a catch, 100%. That, that's, that's as simple as that. I mean, in the fact that they ruled it a catch initially, and then after a lengthy challenge or review, they, they overturned the call. Uh, kind of tells you everything that it looked like a catch full speed and even on replay it looked like a catch unless you you know maybe go frame by frame and just overanalyze it but 100% catch and I feel like I don't know if it's just me that this play really started how we overanalyze catches in football um, Calvin Johnson had one that was also questionable on how it was called after replay yeah this that he caught the ball and then kind of took two, three steps in the end zone and then put it down to celebrate. Yeah. And it was called incomplete. I remember that play pretty vividly. I think they were playing the bears. Yeah. But yep. it was, that was another atrocious call. The stakes weren't as high, obviously, but uh, it was just as bad. Yeah. 
this this one is like I you'll hear me talk about this on other teams and on our podcast is how these rules drive me insane about the catches like we're staring at the ball during replays to see if it wiggled a little in their arms it's a really miserable way to watch football um but so that's what started it with this des bryant catch um like we're overanalyzing it did he what what did they start calling it the nfl and the referees started calling it completing the process of the catch like yeah falling down and never letting go of the damn ball even though you caught it <laughs> completing the process of the catch was born uh from this play yeah and i get the concept that if you fall and the ball comes out as soon as you you hit the ground whether you fall on your back or you 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 know you fall on your chest and the ball pops out uh, if you don't take the two steps after that or before that but every angle every review this was just a robbery basically and I get if in the replay, the ball wiggles in between his fingers just because we look at football this way. But if that happened, then maybe there's a case. But the ball doesn't move an inch. It doesn't wiggle. It's glued to him. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why it's a, it's, it's a catch uh, the, during that, that, that attempt to get into the end zone. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to, to, to really say for certain what was going to happen after this. The Packers would have gotten the ball back. Um, it's at Lambeau. The Cowboys were really, really good that year. And for the sake of appeasing Cowboys fans, <laughs> uh, I mean, if Des catches it, they're ahead. And the Packers weren't great in the postseason after their Super Bowl run. Um, they have a legitimate shot at winning the game. And they probably have two shots. Like Rodgers marches down the field. They try to, to tie it, kick a field goal, score quickly, whatever the case may be. Um, but the Cowboys had a good shot at winning that game and, and making a run. They, everyone was healthy. Romo was healthy. Uh, his movement in the pocket uh, was rarely better than it was that year. Um, him and Des Bryant were such a was such a great connection. I think that they they win that game just because of how um, the Packers postseason history is. To be honest with you, as disappointing as some of these Cowboys losses we've seen in in recent memory. So. Why not? Yeah. As catches it, they beat the Packers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if he, he catches it, if he's ruled down, I, I don't know if he got to the end zone. Uh, yeah, it's like it would have been at the inside the five. Yeah, it would have been really close. Let's say they they score on the the two plays after that. Uh, they go up by two, or they go up by one, and then possibly uh, go for two to go up by three. So the the idea is that they they could have lost this game. But the problem is that they got robbed of a chance to really win this game because of a bad call. Because after that, they turn the ball over on downs because it was fourth down and they don't get the ball back. They basically they're deflated, you know, dejected and the Packers don't give them the ball back. So that that's the real issue is not that, you know, they would have 100 percent won the game, but just the fact that they didn't get a chance to win it because of a bad call. Does caught it. Hashtag does yeah. And and just to add to that, I mean, another thing is if if even if they beat Dallas or if they beat Green Bay, um, they would have had to to go to Seattle the following week and play an excellent Seattle team. They had the number one defense. Uh, but like you said, Dallas was a great team that year. Um, and we got robbed of the chance to see them uh, you know, play in a high-stakes game, the NFC championship game. So this isn't necessarily a, a Super Bowl deciding play but it is a, a very pivotal moment 
um, in recent Cowboys history. Yeah, and if that was the the NFC Championship game. The Packers literally fumbled away, right? They had a huge that, lead. They fumbled it. They lost an OT. Give the Cowboys a shot. Let's <laughs> run this back. <laughs> I think they were they were up sixteen. That's the famous I think um, Brandon Bostic onside kick muff. Yeah, uh, or yeah, Bostic. Yeah, yeah. Is it Bostic? Yeah. So or, that that or, was a... Orlis Bostic, one of those guys. Um, some third fourth string tight end that shouldn't have gone up for the ball basically <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah what uh aaron Rodgers is our front runner we've seen it too many times but <laughs> cowboys deserved a shot <laughs> okay so that was your number three yep. um, i had that one as my number five um so I'll, I'll take the ball back here so my number three is what if tony romo held the kick during the 2006 NFC wildcard game. So this is, uh, this is the famous Romo, you know, fumbled snap play. Uh, but to set the scene, this was Romo's first year as a full-time starter. Um, he takes over for, for Drew Bledsoe. The Cowboys are nine and seven. They go to uh, Seattle to play the NFC West champions. Uh, Dallas is up 20 to 15, but Seattle comes back and they score to make it 21-20. So it's a one-score game. They fail on the two-point conversion. Uh, Dallas and Tony Romo get the ball back. They lead a good drive. They get down to, uh, you know, inside the, the 10 or around just around outside the 10 on the 11. So it's important that they were at the 11 and not the 10. So it wasn't first and goal. It was first and 10. So they go run, run to try to kill off the clock. They get the ball on third and seven. And they Romo hits Witten for what looks like a first down, but upon review is called just short. And it's about fourth and inches with a minute 20 to go. So it's a pretty easy call. You know, Seattle is, is out of timeouts. Dallas kicks the field goal, plays a little defense and, and wins the game. So Bill Parcells sends out the kicking unit. And unfortunately, Tony Romo, Romo fumbles the snap, tries to run for either the first down or the touchdown and gets tackled short of, of both lines. And then Seattle gets the ball back. They almost run out the clock and basically, you know, it, it's the end of the game. So this is a, a really, this is a huge disappointment for the Cowboys, of course, because they were literally a kick away from winning the game. I think a 19 yard field goal away from winning the game. Um, and what this does for Romo is it kind of establishes him, unfortunately for him early on as, as a playoff choker. And he kind of gets that label. It comes back to haunt him a few other times. Um, so my what if is, what if Tony Romo holds the ball, Dallas kicks that field goal, wins the game. How does that change the rest of Tony Romo's career? So any thoughts on that? This is interesting. Yeah, this is the, the 2006 season, right? Um, yeah, his, his first year as a starter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I forgot about this, to be honest with you. Uh, I know that when Bill Parcells came in, they started to develop Tony Romo. Um, I think that he brought in like a couple of guys that played for him, like Vinny Testaverde. And <laughs> I think Romo ended up coming, coming out of the pack eventually. Um, so yeah, keep going. This is, this is interesting. Yeah, and, and on that note, they almost traded um, Romo to the Saints when Sean Payton went there. I guess he saw you know, his potential but I believe Peyton wouldn't offer us uh, more than a third round pick and Dallas wanted a second for Romo. So obviously they saw some potential there too. 
but they probably thought they were good with with Drew Bledsoe. But basically, so if Dallas wins that game, they would have had to go on the road to play a really good Bears team, um, a 13 and three Bears team that had a top five offense and defense, but they did have Rex Grossman as their quarterback. So it's very possible <laughs> that, you know, they, they beat the, the Bears, they go to the NFC title game against the Saints to get an offensive shootout. And then who knows what would have happened. But I think the bigger what if is just to, Romo getting that label and having the weight of that disappointment on such a routine play, I think that really weighed down his career. And that was the monkey on his back, so to speak. So, yeah, I think if if he if they win that game, even if they get smacked the following week against Chicago, I think the rest of his career goes very differently. Uh, you know, they probably don't have that disappointment, disappointment, disappointing loss the following year to the Giants uh, and a number of other, you know, playoff disappointments. Yeah, and I think that um, he get he shakes that, then things things change tremendously. It gives them confidence. They have um, better runs in in the postseason. And that one against the Bears, that was that Bears team that had that sloppy game in the rain, that Super Bowl game against the Colts, right? Yeah, I mean they they were manhandled basically by the the Colts. They couldn't score to keep up with them, but it was a great Bears team. I mean they had Hall of Famers at every level on that, yeah. that defense or hall of fame level players. So it's not necessarily that, that the Cowboys would have won the super bowl that year, but I think sure. it changes the next, you know, five years or so of his, his career just doesn't weigh him down like that. I think it was Parcells best shot too. I think um, while he was there, I'd be remiss in not uh, saying his nickname, the big tuna. I love it. It's a tremendous <laughs> nickname for a coach. Did you know that? He's no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tuna. He's he's one of the all time like personalities. Uh, and I mean, he he leaves the Cowboys after that year, uh, and they hire Wade Phillips uh, as the head coach. So maybe if they win that game, Parcel sticks around for a couple more years. He was already at the end of his career by then. But just a a really sad moment for a young quarterback that didn't deserve it. I mean, do you put any blame on Parcells for, for making, keeping him as the holder, even though he was the starting quarterback? Yeah, it's, you really don't see that very often. I think you can, it's Bill Parcells was a risk taker. Um, and there was questions after this game, if the game had passed him by, and this was probably the last Cowboys head coach um, that everyone probably thinks Jerry Jones didn't have as much say over because after this, it's believed that a lot of the people that have coached the Cowboys have kind of just been there to take orders from Jerry. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes. Okay. You're always right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had, he has a, a propensity for hiring. Yes, men, <clears throat> but yeah, that was sad. I, I like Tony Romo. It's a good dude. So, uh, you know, I wish that went differently for him. So. Okay, that was my number three. Um, so I'll pass it to you for your number four. Yeah, so my, my, my number four is, is about Taco Charlton. What if uh, the Cowboys drafted TJ Watt instead of Taco Charlton? Um, and it's, it's super interesting because I, this was another one. Shout out to Cowboys Reddit. I was not aware of how close they were getting, close to uh, getting TJ Watt instead. Um, so in the 2017 draft, Taco Charlton was the, Len, uh, like you said, great name, 28th pick um, in, the, in the first round. He only ended up playing 27 games for the Cowboys. 
he played all four years in college. Um, he recorded 10 sacks in his senior year at Michigan. He had 20 tackles. But TJ Watt was unworldly great in his two years um, at Wisconsin. So I, I had to look into why they drafted him because, I mean, he played four years. Why didn't they take just, you'd think it was a no brainer for Jerry to just take the Watt name alone versus uh, drafting Taco. I don't think I could ever stop saying Taco. It's, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> um, so, I mean, obviously when he was drafted by them, it was met with mixed feelings. Uh, there was other cases that um, they were gonna get TJ Watt or maybe um, Takarist McKinley or Kevin King. Um, I mean, their best case scenario was probably to take um, a top corner. A top corner. Uh, I saw that on blogintheboys.com, the team initially had its site crosshair set on a Dory Jackson. Jerry Jones loved his playmaking ability, um, but the Titans ended up catching them off guard and taking a Dory Jackson instead. So they figured they can take one of their top edge rushers um, and hope that one of these edge rushers fell to them at 28. So the next three players on their board were Kevin King, TJ Watt, and Taco Charlton. Um, so <laughs> they obviously made the wrong choice on the clock. Here's, here's my what if for this, and it's pr pretty simple. I mean, TJ Watt went two picks later. He has 72 sacks and 77 games played for the Steelers. <laughs> like he just tied Michael Strahan's record for the, the single season sack record at 22. Obviously a huge misstep by the Cowboys. The what if is simple here. It's just a really egregious mistake in drafting. They ended up, they'll, they would end up having, if they had drafted him, just a menacing, fearsome pass rush with, with Randy Gregory, um, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, and TJ Watt. That so, yeah. What's that? Instead of uh, Micah Parsons with those two guys, you get TJ Watt. Yeah, it's a great alternative. It's not like, yeah. <laughs> like who, know, who knows? Maybe they still do business with the Eagles and that trade that annoyed a lot of uh, Cowboys fans. But <laughs> this would have been a wonderful alternative. This pass rush would have been very menacing. Yeah, and it's it's hard to understand why i mean maybe they go for a guy that's you know has a, a longer a, or a bigger resume because like you said charlton was there for four years uh, i mean his production was was pretty good in college he had a 10 sack season his last year but i mean tj watt had 11 and a half sacks um so it wasn't like watt was uh uh, uh, an underperforming in college or late bloomer or anything maybe he was a little bit of a late bloomer in college so Maybe that that caused the the decision to go with with Taco instead, but yeah, that that's an all time miss there. And the funny thing is now Taco is actually on the Steelers, uh, playing with TJ Watt. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so. uh, irony. Um, I, I I get it. I mean, they had spent some premium draft picks on a couple other edge rushers. That Demarcus Lawrence had one sack, but he played hurt most of the year. They used a third round pick to move up in the second round to get him. So I think it was a little unsettling of the after three years that he, they did, he wasn't what they had hoped for. So they get Randy Gregory in the second round in 2015. And then he comes off a season a year later where he was suspended for 14 games. So, and then they learned he was 
facing a year-long suspension the following season. So they did need help. I just think they, they picked the wrong help. Yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah, like we said, it's an all-time miss, uh, but these things happen in the draft, right? And it's just unfortunate that, uh, I mean, it worked out for the Steelers, but uh, yeah, all-time miss here. Yeah. Taco. <laughs> Shout out Taco. Okay. So I, I did not have that one on my list. So that was, that was your number four. Uh, but my next one is another all-time draft miss. And this one is, is even more egregious. So uh, <laughs> this is the, my, what if is what if the Cowboys had drafted Randy Moss? Ooh. So, you know, it, it seems kind of uh, like a no brainer at this time, but Basically, uh, Randy Moss was drafted and he was in the 1998 NFL draft. He was probably, you know, the best receiver in college football. He was projected as a top 10 pick, but he had some, you know, off the field issues, some character concerns, legal problems, whatever, uh, that are covered in, in depth in a 30 for 30, I think called Rand University, uh, where it talks about him growing up in poverty and, and all that. Uh, but essentially, the Cowboys you know, told him that they were going to draft him. Um, they even had, uh, you know, a, a scout in Charleston, West Virginia, visiting, uh, you know, Randy at the time. Uh, and it, it even got to the point that Michael Irvin called Randy after the draft and apologized to him for the, the Cowboys passing on him. And, you know, Michael Irvin told him that, you know, my off the field issues probably caused them to, to overlook you um, and choose to, to, to draft uh, Greg Ellis instead, uh, who's a defensive end. So, uh, you know, Greg Ellis was a pretty good defensive player. He was in Dallas for 11 years, 77 sacks, 75 tackles for loss, 500 career tackles. So it's not like they drafted Taco Charlton. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what, what they missed out on is, you know, perhaps the most talented wide receiver of all time, um, I wouldn't say greatest. You still give that to, to Jerry. Um, but, you know, one of the best receivers of all time, basically because they overthought it. Um, and what this does is, you know, if they had drafted him, uh, Randy, you know, would have played with Troy Aikman for a couple of years. Uh, maybe that extends Troy's career. Uh, but, you know, Troy was, was more than likely on his way out. Uh, so, but what this would have done for the Cowboys, it would have given them this incredible foundational piece. And even though, you know, Randy was able to, to sort of pout his way out of Minnesota, pout his way out of Oakland, pout his way again out of New England, um, I don't think Jerry would have let that happen. Jerry would have laid out the red carpet. He would have made sure that, uh, you know, Randy would have, would have felt taken care of. And what this also does is by missing out on, on, Jerry, uh, on Randy Moss, uh, you know, Jerry Jones is kind of chasing that dragon for a long time. And he makes some really bad trades uh, trying to get that elite receiver uh, in place of, of Randy. So he gives up two first round picks uh, for Joey Galloway from Seattle, who does nothing. Uh, they miss out on some good quarterbacks. Uh, and then he also makes another trade for uh, Detroit wide receiver, Roy Williams. He gets a first and a third for him who once again doesn't do anything in Dallas so you know Jerry was trying very hard to make up for that mistake and he paid a high price when he probably should have drafted this guy so uh did you know about this and what do you think about you know what would have been for for Randy if he was in Dallas 
Yeah, I, I did know that they were supposed to draft him and like you said, overthought it, but I didn't know that. I think the interesting part is them trying to make up for it after knowing they, they bleeped up and <laughs> getting a bunch of receivers that they overpaid for. I think that that's the more, it's not as egregious, but I think that it's a poor way to manage your team. If you feel like, oh, I messed up, I'm going to play fantasy football with draft picks. Yeah, to use the poker expression, I mean, Jerry was on tilt at that point because he, he found out very soon after that, that he, he messed up. In his rookie season, Randy comes to Dallas and he puts up 163 yards and three <laughs> touchdowns. <laughs> so, you know, he played with a chip on his shoulder, probably more so against the Cowboys than anybody else because, you know, he felt like they lied to him. They, they told him that they were going to draft him. And they probably just got spooked. They got cold feet at the last minute. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know for sure if Randy, you know, plays 10 years in Dallas or whatever, because he seems to be the type of dude that just wants to move around. You know, he played with some really bad quarterbacks uh, or he would have played with some really bad quarterbacks in Dallas. It's like a long list of, of no name guys. So maybe he leaves anyway, but at the same time, maybe Jerry is able to attract uh, a top tier QB free agent because he could say you know you get to play in Dallas I'll roll out the red carpet for you like I always do and you get to play with Randy Moss so yeah a lot of things could have gone differently there I agree okay so that was my number four um, so I will pass it back to you for your uh, last one your number five yeah and I'm glad that was your number four because it translates into my number five there actually is a correlation here that and you, I don't have to be a Cowboys fan to get into some fan fiction. If any listeners of this <laughs> pod will know, I do love to get into a little fan fiction. So I'm glad that uh, I've kind of stumbled into it here. So, so mine is, what if they drafted Tom Brady or Drew Brees? Um, they had a legitimate shot at both of these guys. And coincidentally enough, uh, could have paired them with Randy Moss. <laughs> um, who knew? <laughs> who knew? So in, in 2000, Troy Aikman was still the starter. He didn't have a great season. He was really past his prime at this point. 156 for 262, 1,600 yards, seven touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He, he played 11 games that year. Um, he got his 10th career concussion. Uh, I think it was a, a game against the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and then 37-year-old Randall Cunningham took over after that. Um, and it, I think that it was poor planning. So Randall Cunningham plays... And then in 2001, they draft Quincy Carter in the second round. So the, in 2000, they don't have a first-round pick. In 2001, they don't have a first-round pick. And why don't they have a pick in those drafts? Because they, they traded trade. them for Joey Galloway. Exactly, because <laughs> they didn't get Randy Moss. They didn't get Randy Moss. <laughs> all, it's all connected. Yeah, butterfly effect here. Yeah, incredible. It really is. Um, so in 2001, they draft Quincy Carter. He gets hurt in the same season. And then they trotted out like, Ryan Leaf and Anthony Wright and Clint Sterner, uh, just a huge mess. They ran with Carter for a few years. He even started all 16 games in the 2003 season, but he was really unimpressive. 17 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. So I think that this was just poor, a poor succession plan for Troy Aikman. There were just a few lost years after the Aikman years, um, not having proper planning for this. So they could have drafted Drew Brees, like I said, but they'd given away uh, these picks for Joey Galloway. So they, 
it's it's Tom Brady and Drew Brees that and it's, it's Tom Brady because in that draft we looked at the board earlier and the only notable quarterback was Mark Bolger but missing out on Drew Brees also a huge whiff um, so it ends up being a, a connection to Randy Moss um, and it's a, it, it ends up being a bad seven years eight years of bad quarterback play in Dallas yeah. so it's just really unfortunate that you know they they don't plan properly for the post Aikman years and uh, chasing the ghost of the Randy Moss draft pick ends up really biting them in the ass. Yeah. And it's, it's just, like you said, a, a great example of poor planning, right? It's like, it's like building, you know, a loft in your house and you have in the first floor is on fire. You know what I mean? It just, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and you know, those, those years between the, the end of the Aikman era and the start of the Romo era were pretty bleak. Uh, you know, they had that one wild card season with Quincy Carter. We had a, a pretty good year, uh, but they weren't going anywhere. They weren't going to win anything. Um, so it just it goes to show you that if one mistake can can lead to another and it can be compounded if you mm-hmm. keep trying to make up for that that mistake. So not drafting Randy Moss means you miss out on a very good quarterback in Drew Brees the following year, who could have been a great segue uh, into the next era of, of Cowboys football. Uh, and instead they kind of luck into the, the Tony Romo situation. Um, and that, you know, ends up working out for them essentially, but there is a long time of, of mediocrity between those two eras. So. And it just becomes that elu- this, this two decades, almost three decades post Jimmy Johnson becomes elusive to Jerry at this point, the elusive championships after Jimmy, um, so yeah, I think it's, that, like the valuation of the team obviously is great as an owner. That's your number one goal is to increase the value of your team above all else. Um, but at this point you can see it in Jerry. I watched the Cowboys hard knocks. You can see it on his face the last few years. It's like, he's just, tr- he really wants it more, more than the value of the team at this point. You can really see that he's trying to make sound football decisions. But I think at this time, um, these, these were not good decisions. Yeah. It's, it's, reminiscent of the end of of the uh al davis era yeah where he's you know chasing a super bowl at all costs he's bringing in all these old quarterbacks trying to you know find the spark um so it's just i mean obviously jerry jones has had a a second win so to speak uh in recent years but those early 2000s were were pretty bleak (laughs) after the after troy aikman's career ended so Okay. Uh, oh, so I got. Oh, yeah. So I had a, my number five was actually your number three. So Des caught it. So I think we, we covered that quite a bit. Uh, so that was, that's it for our list. I had two honorable mentions. You didn't have any honorable mentions, right? Nope. Okay. So I have two little uh, fun ones. I won't go too deep into them, but uh, my first honorable mention is what if the Cowboys won the ice bowl? the famous ice bowl game and the first Super Bowl. Could the Lombardi trophy have been called something else? Um, so in the late sixties, the Cowboys and the Packers were dueling it out for NFL supremacy. Uh, the Packers beat the Cowboys in 1966 and 1967, and they win the first two Super Bowls. And a few years later, uh, they renamed the Super Bowl trophy, the Vince Lombardi trophy to honor, you know, the, the legendary coach a year after he passes. But Perhaps if the Cowboys win those two Super Bowls, maybe it's the Tom Landry trophy. 
So that's a fun one. Um, would, would put a fedora on the trophy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his famous suit and tie and fedora combo. Who knows? It would have been kind of weird because he still coached the Cowboys till the, the late 80s. So um, <laughs> imagine the pressure of, of chasing a trophy named after you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then another one is what if Jerry Jones bought the San Diego Chargers? So mm. uh, apparently 20 or so odd years before he bought the Cowboys in the 80s, um, he tried to finagle his way into buying the San Diego Chargers in the 60s. And he actually agreed to the financing with the current Chargers owner. He's going to buy it for just just under $6 million. Um, and apparently he needed an additional 50K or he needed a 50K deposit and his dad wouldn't give it to him. So wow. imagine asking your pops for 50K to buy an NFL team. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, so that didn't work out. Uh, but he would have been an owner 20 years before the 80s and we never would have had the jerry jones cowboys huh 50k was the difference huh? that's probably if you're factoring inflation a ton of money yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was in his he was in his early 20s uh he just graduated from arkansas you know after playing football there with with his buddy jimmy johnson and his dad is probably like what the nfl the hell is that uh, so yeah all right that that's it for my honorable mentions uh, why don't we go ahead and do the recap? So I'll, I'll let you go first, and then I'll, I'll see us out. Yeah, sure. So my, my number one is um, the Herschel Walker trade. What if the Cowboys didn't trade Herschel Walker and fleece the hell out of the Vikings? Uh, number two is about the Jimmy Johnson era and what could have been um, if things worked out between Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson. Um, what if Des caught it? Hashtag Des caught it. This is my number three. Uh, number four was what if they drafted TJ Watt instead of Taco Charlton? And uh, number five is what if they drafted Tom Brady or Drew Brees or just really just a good, a better quarterback uh, in the aftermath of the Randy Moss uh, draft pick? Okay. And my five. Um, so my number one is also what if the Cowboys uh, never traded away Herschel Walker? What if uh, Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson had managed to get along? For another 10 years after the, the Super Bowls. Number three is what if Tony Romo held that kick during the 06 NFC wildcard game against the Seahawks? Number four, what if they drafted Randy Moss in 1998 instead of Greg Ellis? And number five, what if the refs got the Des catch call correct? Uh, so yeah, hashtag Des caught it. That's it for our show today, covering the biggest what-ifs in Dallas Cowboys history. We appreciate you guys checking us out. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe to the 4040 Vision podcast anywhere you can find podcasts. And make sure to follow us on all social platforms. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at 4040 Vision Pod. Peace out, everybody.